This is the Marketing Podcast Network. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown with three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown. You get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Stories influence, teach, and inspire us. But what about the storytellers who create them? Uncorking a Story profiles storytellers to uncover how their background and life experiences influence the stories they create. We learn what motivates them, their path to success, and what fuels them to keep creating. It all starts by asking one simple question. Where does your story begin? Welcome to Uncorking a Story. Now here's your host, Mike Carlin. Well, hello and welcome to Uncorking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin, and today I'm excited to introduce you to Brittany Butler. Brittany spent nine years as a targeting officer within the CIA's Directorate of Operations Counterterrorism Center. Both at Langley and on temporary assignments in the Middle East, Brittany spearheaded operational efforts to achieve some of the most sensitive foreign intelligence objectives abroad. She has both firsthand knowledge of targeting methodologies used in recruitment of spies and extensive field experience in working with foreign liaisons to discover and apprehend terrorists abroad. She's a staunch advocate for women's rights in the Middle East and has worked for human rights campaigns in Afghanistan to protect and promote the rights of disenfranchised Afghan women and girls. Today, she assists Afghan refugees with, by helping them thrive within her local community. She joins me today on Uncorking a Story to talk about her career and latest novel, The Syndicate Spy, which weaves a story of fact and fiction, telling the true story of female intelligence officers who stand on their laurels of intellect and skill to see beyond religious and cultural barriers to find what unites rather than what divides. Welcome to Uncorking a Story, Brittany. Thank you so much for having me. Brittany, I'm going to ask you the question I ask everybody as I begin these, which is where does your story as an author begin? Um, I would say that it starts in 2016. I joined an organization called Women for Afghan Women. My last assignment at CIA was in Af Afghanistan, Pakistan division. And I was really exposed quite a bit to the hardships that the women face in Afghanistan. And I really wanted to do something after I left the CIA that involved promoting their rights. And so I started to work for this organization and was just really amazed by the resiliency of these Arab women. 
They had gone through so much. They had been through decades of civil war, discrimination, all sorts of hardships, but they really refused to be victimized. And I just really wanted to showcase the resiliency and the characters that I was going to bring to life in writing. And so that's kind of what inspired me was working with these Afghan women, seeing how powerful they were and thought, man, I'd love to write a story about them. So, so that's how it started. Yeah. You know, I'm curious, kind of going from, you know, your previous career, kind of working in intelligence and kind of pivoting a bit. And I mean, I know they're related because of the subject matter you're writing about, but becoming an author, Maybe we should start at the beginning. How did you get involved working with the CIA, you know, to begin with? Yeah. So in 2004, I worked for the American Embassy in Paris in the consulate section. And at that time, what we were doing is we were doing what we call name traces on individuals trying to get into the country. So basically, you're just doing research on an individual to make sure they didn't have any kind of nefarious connections to terrorism or drug cartels or anything like that. And I had some knowledge of Arabic naming conventions. And so I happened to identify somebody that was trying to get into the country that shouldn't be. And that was subsequently uh, flagged to some senior intel officers that were working there at the embassy. And they approached me and they said, hey, have you ever thought about applying at the CIA? And I said, no, absolutely not. And they said, well, just apply on the website, see what happens. And I did. And the rest was history. Wow. And so it's just by applying online. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it definitely helped that I had international experience, that I spoke foreign languages, that I had, you know, an interest in the Middle East. And, you know, that's where my education was. I had a degree in international affairs. So all those little tidbits definitely helped. But yeah, they're also like looking for certain people. And I, you know, I'm not a recruiter for CIA, so I can't tell you exactly what they're looking for. But I seem to have checked all the boxes in terms of what they wanted. And I was recruited to be a case officer originally, which is base is the person that handles the recruitment and handling of spies abroad. But I decided to go a different route. A targeting officer is basically like a kind of a hybrid field officer in the sense that you are mainly based at Langley, but you do uh, a lot of overseas tours. So you'll be popping over for shorter, what we call TDYs, temporary duty assignments, and various locations to support our operations abroad. And, you know, it, part of the ignorance here, I'm just fascinated by this. When you go yeah. on those temporary tours, I mean, yeah. do you have like a cover that that you're, you know, are you know, you can't really go and say, hey, uh, I work for the yeah. CIA and this is what I'm doing over here. What? Right. Yeah. No, you operate under a cover, but it depends on where you're going to. So whenever I worked for the CIA, we were involved in Iraq, Afghanistan. And, you know, we pretty much, I mean, we control those countries uh, for a good amount of time. And so we had means of transport transportation over there where we didn't really have to buy ourselves to anyone yeah. and our other American counterparts. So that wasn't a big deal. But then, yeah, whenever you're working in other Middle Eastern countries, you're traveling under a cover, usually, if you're doing clandestine operations. But you're also working hand in hand with the Arab intelligence service. So they usually know the officers that are in their country and that's for a reason because we work so closely with them on our operations. So, yeah. So it just depends. It depends on where you're going. 
what you're yeah. doing. When you were in like high school or college, I mean, did you ever imagine that would be your career? No, no. I was like, I was a cheerleader. Like I was in pageants and shit like that. Like I never thought in a million years I'd be doing that. Uh, but I just, it just turned out that I like, I had a real knack for it. And once I got into it, it was kind of like a drug. It was just such an adrenaline rush to be a part of the counterterrorism mission and be doing like such important work that I wanted to be as good at it as I possibly could be. And, you know, that's, that kind of led to more and more responsibility. Yeah, I'm sure like at the high school reunion, you know, your classmates were like, you know, we thought she'd be on Homeland, not that they'd write it about her, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, you know, Homeland's quite, it's not very accurate. I, I talk about that show quite a bit because it, I feel like they do a real disservice to female intelligence officers because she like sleeps with her terrorists that she's hunting and like gets pregnant with the baby of the terrorist. It's all, it's very strange. I don't know. I find that show to be really bizarre. Well, and they also give her like a pretty extreme, you know, psychological condition, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's like no way that you could work at CIA with bipolar disorder. Yeah. They would never let you. I know my neighbor across the street from me is a detective and, you know, I'll ask him my stupid cop questions and he'd be like, I'm like the DNA stuff you see on law and order, you know, it doesn't come back that fast. I'm like, no, but you know, suspending disbelief. <laughs> well, tell me, what can you share with us about the syndicate spy? Yeah. So as I alluded to earlier, I really want to showcase a powerful Arab woman in my spy novel, which I've done. But then I also really wanted to change the narrative about female spies, that we're not these, you know, women you've seen on a lot of TV shows and films and fishnet stockings and the low cut shirt. Like we have more value than that. We use the same tradecraft and intellect as our male counterparts do. And I would argue that it's been a lot more difficult for us because I at least my generation of intelligence officers, we all worked in the Middle East. And so we're working within a community of people that don't necessarily see us as their equal, the men. And so we had a good deal of work to do in terms of building rapport with a source or a detainee and doing the mission that we needed to do. So, so my novel, it showcases two very different women. We've got an Arab, her name is Miriam, and she happens to be the oldest daughter of the King of Saudi Arabia. And she partners with a female intelligence officer named Juliet, an American. And together they're in charge of eradicating energy terrorists. Now, um, I've developed the plot line in sometime in the future when the Earth's oil reserves have been depleted. And there's a conglomerate of allied intelligence agencies named the Syndicate that's in charge of eradicating and hunting down these energy terrorists. They're basically like traveling all over the world, attacking alternative energy sites. So these two women, they are fighting this war and they're doing the work of intelligence. They're running sources. They are hunting down terrorists. And it's just a really fun adventure. And it really provides you with such insight into what real intelligence operations are like, specifically from the purview of a female working in the Middle East. It's also got a really fun love story where you've got Juliet links up with this like very cocky FBI agent named Graham. And they have, you know, amazing chemistry and this really cool love story. 
And I've gotten really great reviews about that whole element to the story. But yeah, no, I'm just really excited about changing, changing the narrative about female spies and coming out with something new and different. I feel like there have been a lot of stories about the Gabrielle Lons, the James Bonds, the Jason Bournes. There's a hundred of those kind of spy novels out there. And they're all really interesting and well done. But I think it's time for the female spies to emerge. And I don't mean like the sexual dominatrixes that you've seen in other spy novels. Yeah, they can they can be beautiful and sexy, but they also have brains and they use the tradecraft. They use the their intellect to do the work of espionage. What what would surprise, you know, those of us who are, you know, on the outside, you know, we get our, you know, we learn from Gabriel Alon books, you know, I think Daniel Silva does a great job with those. But what would surprise the layperson about about the sort of about the tradecraft that goes with espionage? I mean, what do you think would be most surprising? Not just from like a male spy versus female spy, but just in general. Yeah, I would say that, you know, a lot of these movies, they portray it to be a very solitary profession that, you know, James Bond's kind of going into a situation on his own to save the world when in reality, it's a network of very committed individuals who all have their discipline. So you've got a geospatial analyst who understands the terrain, knows everything about the buildings in an area. You've got a SIGINT analyst. You've got someone who intercepts the signals and the signals like and by that I mean you know phone email text whatever and interprets that data then you've got the human person and by that I mean like the person that's running the actual like operation with the human source and who's providing us with okay this is where the bad guy is and lining that up with the geospatial people and lining that up with the SIGINT people it's a team of people who all come together to make intelligence operations happen. It's not just one woman or one man doing the job. Yeah. So I think that might surprise people that it's not like it is in the movies and that you don't have one person doing everything. Right. What one person who's going rogue trying to save the world, you know, on uh, on their own. Yeah. Well how is how has reception for uh, the Syndicate Spy been so far? I mean you certainly have uh, a plethora of advanced praise for it. Yes, yes. Yeah. The Kirkus review was starred and less than, I guess, less than 2% of their authors get starred reviews. So that was a really big deal that Kirkus provided such an amazing review of the book. And I've had like basically reviewers say, this is the new Jason Bourne. This is the new spy that you want to watch and you want to watch her through, you know, a series of books. So that's been really a Publishers Weekly also gave it a starred review. And then just like everyday readers, I've loved to get the feedback from them that they enjoy the character so much. They enjoy the plot, that it's fresh and new. It's not the same regurgitated storyline over and over again, that it's a fresh and interesting take on espionage. And that you can tell that uh, the author had experience in the intelligence community that that really shines through that I know what I'm talking about and you get a little bit of insight while going on this like really fun and interesting journey into the Middle East and into this fictional world that I've created so yeah Yeah. so it's been really great so far it's been a wild ride though 
<laughs> you get to bring your authenticity. You know, that, that I'm sure it comes mm-hmm. through on every page. You know, thinking about, you know, kind of what some of the advanced, you know, reviews have said and seeing that this could be a series, was that in your mind, you know, that Juliet would have more stories in her uh, yeah. or for her rather? I mean, were you thinking about it? And is the pressure on to, to follow this up with something uh, as good, if not better? Yeah. I mean, thankfully, I really love to write. So I started writing the second novel, you know, way before this one came out. So I'm about halfway through that book. And I've done outlines for a couple more books, ideas that I have. So I want to go as long as people want to read the story. Because I, you know, as a writer, I'm sure so many other writers can relate to this. You get so wrapped up in this world you've created, you almost like don't want to leave it. And especially the characters, you invest so much time and effort into developing their motivations and conflicts and backstories that like you don't really want to let them go. And it is easier to just pick up with the same characters and develop new plots because you've already done the backstory. You already know who you're writing. So I'm having a wonderful time writing the second book. And I, I, I try not to, re- I do read reviews, but I try not to put too much into reviews because I feel like if you read every single negative one, there'll be, a, for every negative one, there's like three positive ones. So, so far so good, but I also don't want to get bogged down by, you know, negative energy or anything like that. Like, I just feel like, if you feel passionate about what you're writing and you've gotten really good feedback, just keep going with that. And don't, I don't know, at least I try not to get bogged down by any of the negative stuff out there. What did you learn about yourself going through, you know, the writing process and then, you know, selling the book and now the publishing process? Any big insights into into yourself, Brittany? Yeah, I really, it's really hard to promote Uh you know, it's a lot of, that's the hard part. I really do think that writing the novel is the easy part. And it's interesting because writing is such a solitary job, right? Like you're, you know, behind a computer and you're kind of living within your own mind, you know, the majority of the time. And so, but in order to keep doing that, to do that for a living, you got to get out and sell the book, right? And so you've got to really put yourself out there. And I feel like, especially coming from a world where I had to be so secret for so long. I couldn't tell anybody what I was doing. I had to make sure I sounded really boring. Like anytime I talked about my job, because I didn't want anybody to prod for information. And now I'm on this, like, here I am. I was in the CIA and like, you know, just very much out there. It feels really weird and it's taken some getting used to, but people have been really kind so far. Of course you get haters on TikTok, some weird place. You know, I don't know what it is about TikTok. I don't know what everybody else's experiences with that, but they come out of the woodwork and got some haters on there. But, you know, as long as you just like don't let it get you down and you just keep going and just knowing that it's all part of the process, that you can't just write something for yourself unless you want to write something for yourself and that's fine. But like to be an author, I think is something completely different and that you really have to be willing to go out and do the promotion that's necessary to get your book out into the world and get it into the hands of readers. And the publishing industry is, you know, just so difficult to begin with because you've got five big publishing houses. And it's like, if you don't get with one of them, I mean, 
It's like they've really got a monopoly on things. So it's a difficult industry. I wouldn't recommend it for everybody. <laughs> Certainly not <laughs> as a first career. No. <laughs> it's very challenging as a first career. And, you yes. know, someone, you know, once told me, you know, writing is creative. That's the creative part of it. And then mm -hmm. publishing is the business side of it. And there is a tension between, you know, the creative side and the business side there, but they're both sides of the same, you know, the same thing. You, you've got to find a way to, to be able to be good at both. Because if you don't, you, you can have the greatest book in the world, but if you can't figure out how to, to publicize it, and even those five big publishers as a new author, you know, you're not getting the, their priority, you know, that you're not getting their, you know, top, you know, PR people yet. I mean, that that comes in time, but, right. you know, so it is a lot of the work is on the author's shoulders. That's for sure. It is. And you have to be willing to like invest in it too. And I don't think I really knew that going in, like, even if you go with a big publishing house as a debut author, you really have to like supplement a lot of it yourself. Oh, so yeah. be willing, and, set aside yeah. that money <laughs> Sorry, and, for a publicist. And time too, you know, it's not just, it's not just money, but it's time and time is money. Uh, and now I'm babbling. Well, one, <laughs> one of the ways in which I like to, you know, further uncork uh, my guest stories is through pop culture. So Brittany, I'm curious when you were growing up, what were some of your favorite things to watch on TV? Oh gosh. I like Family Matters, Seinfeld, Friends. Yeah. Just like that. Some usual sitcom suspects there. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny. I see, I don't know who it is. It's one of the insurance companies. I think it's uh, progressive is, uh, got the dad from family matters as the role of TV dad that, you know, they look for advice from in the ads. I, I always get a smile when I see those, uh, when I see those commercials. Oh yeah. I used to watch that with my family on like Friday nights. Like that was a thing that we did. Was that ABC? I think that could have been ABC. Yeah. I was like on at like seven o'clock, like full house, family matters. They were like yeah. back to back. Yeah, the TGIF night, I believe that was called. Yeah, um, exactly. What about music? What kind of music were you listening to growing up? I love Sarah McLaughlin. Anything super moody. I was a very moody teen. <laughs> no, it seemed to suit me pretty well. Anything that was like really dark, you know, I don't know. When I look back, I'm like, what did I have to whine about? Oh, my gosh. But now I, I see it, my own kids that are starting to get older. I'm like, oh, goodness. Here we go again. <laughs> yeah, my uh, my friend, my friend Fabio, we because we made mixtapes back in the eighties and nineties. Uh, he had this one mixtape called "The Tape of Pain," which oh. was, you know, it was all like, you know, down music, you know, The Cure, Depeche Mode, a lot of that, you know, yeah. early first wave all stuff. But uh, yeah, it's, it's that when I hear Sarah McLachlan now, I think of like starving puppies, you know, because yeah, it's know. all over that, you know, ASPCA. Yes, I know. I know. So sad. So sad. Yeah, I don't know. I'm now I'm like, I'm gonna listen to like happy music all the time. Yeah. Except for writing. I, when I write, I have to like I go back to like Hans Zimmer, like movie soundtrack type of stuff. And that's another thing I've heard about my book is that it reads like a movie. Mm. I think that may have to do with the fact that I'm listening to movie soundtracks the whole time. Oh, interesting. Interesting. I'm sure. I mean, it sounds like this is certainly movie potential. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a manager out there and we're out to producers. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. Get those film rights. Uh, uh, anything? What am I forgetting to ask you? Have I forgotten to ask you anything? Have we covered everything, Brittany? I think. Yeah. Yes. I okay. think so. 
Uh, well, maybe you could tell us where people can connect with you, Brittany. Do you have a website or some social media? I know you mentioned TikTok before. I'm sure you're looking for some more supporters on TikTok. What are some of your social media handles people can find you at? Yeah, so I'm at former spy, the number one on Instagram and TikTok. And the Syndicate Spy is out now. It's been out for almost a week now. I can't believe it. You can purchase it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, your local bookstore. It's available everywhere. Books are sold. So please pick up your copy. Very good. Well, Brittany, thank you for stopping by Uncorking a Story and letting me uncork yours. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Uncorking a Story. If you'd like more information about today's guest or to find out more about Mike, go to uncorkingastory.com. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in every week to hear Mike Carlin uncork a new story. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe.